Welcome to Highway Christian Community Sermon Downloads. For more sermons, please visit our website. We know you will be blessed as you listen. Take care and God bless. Jeff is a real gift to our church. Not only is he a, a skilled musician, but he leads up the YWAM team up in Kloof. Uh, and uh, he has a real revelation on grace and the goodness of Jesus. So open up your hearts and receive. Bless you. Thank you. Sure. Am I on? Okay, wonderful. I'll tell you, uh, I've, seen that, I've seen that clip, that drama so many times. Every time I, I watch it, I cry. And the reason I cry is um, it, it so reflects what I'm going to talk on today. And it so reflects what my life was like prior to knowing Christ. I grew up in a Christian home. Um, I say it was a Christian home. My mum was a Christian. My father was not. Um, my mum divorced when I was three. We moved to Australia when I was five. Yes, I'm Australian. Please don't hold that against me. It gets very difficult at rugby time, I'm telling you. So I moved to Australia when I was five. And my mum uh, had married again, uh, uh, so we were living with my stepfather. And uh, I started going to church uh, when I was seven. Uh, and I was in a cathedral choir. And uh, I was one of the choristers in the choir. I loved singing, still love singing. And um, so I was going to church four to five times a week. Um, we had uh, practice twice a week. We had uh, Sunday service and we did weddings as well. So I sang a lot had no relationship with Christ. Nothing. In fact, I used to sit in the, uh, you, you know the, the bulletins you get handed out? Yeah, I used to get a pen and I'd cross out letters and make new words to try and find, make funny sentences. So I didn't have any relationship with Christ, even though I was going to church four or five times a week. At the age of 12, basically... I stopped going to church due to circumstances. Um, I had a music scholarship in high school and I, uh, I just didn't have time for church. And so I walked away from God when I was 12. My life after that started going downhill. I don't know if anybody can relate to this, but um, I, at the age of nine, I started drinking and smoking. By 16, I was drinking. By 18, I was drinking seven days a week and taking drugs. Uh, by 22, I was married. By 24, I was divorced. By 32, I was married. By 34, I was divorced. In November of 1998, as we saw in the skit this morning, I was at the point where I didn't know what to do. Everything I had tried had failed. And I describe it to people now as though I had a hole in my heart and I tried everything to fill it. I tried drugs, I tried alcohol, I tried women, I tried possessions, I tried everything to fill this void in my heart. And nothing worked. And I was at the point, I was literally sitting in my lounge room and I was asking myself, how will I do this? How will I commit suicide? And a friend came around, 
her non-Christian friend, a friend came around and she, um, she invited me to go to her mother's material shop. And for some reason that sounded like a really good idea. <laughs> God's really strange like that. So I went to this material shop and it was the following weekend I remember my brother, Michael, I love my brother to bits. He prayed for me for 20 years. Oh, dear. He invited me to go to a Franklin Graham crusade. Now, I, that's not how he worded it. He said to me, um, do you want to go and see a band? And I, I love going to see bands. Like, I'm a big partier at this stage. And he says, do you want to go and see a band? And I said, yeah, I'd love to see a, go and see a band. It was, the band was Jars of Clay. Yeah. Yeah, well, apparently uh, they'd played the previous night. Um, they didn't play this particular night. <laughs> I don't think he honestly knew that. I, I don't think I've ever actually asked him whether he knew that they weren't playing or not. But um, anyway, they didn't play that night. But I, what I do remember is Franklin Graham was at the front, and I'm assuming he gave a gospel message. I honestly can't remember. I was at the very back. It was much bigger than this. It was an auditorium. We were about 5,000 people in this auditorium, so it was way, way down, I was way, way down the back, probably three quarters down the back, and this is how I describe it to people. They gave an altar call, and uh, I remember my body began to shake, and I didn't know what was going on, and have you ever seen, you remember the Energizer Bunny adverts? You know, the Energizer Bunny, and it jumps around everywhere? Yeah, that was me. Somehow, I think I vibrated from the back of the auditorium to the front of the auditorium, (laughs) And I ended up giving my life to Christ. That was in November of 1998. Much of my life didn't change. Not a great deal changed in that instant. It wasn't like I had a Paul-like experience where light shone from heaven and a voice came. All I knew was that I'd given my life to Christ. And from that point onwards, all the things that previously I'd been doing, the drinking, the smoking, the cavorting, all those things... I didn't want to do anymore. But nobody had discipled me. Nobody had told me even that there was a Holy Spirit. I feel like those guys in the Bible, you know, who is the Holy Spirit? We don't even know who that is. Nobody told me because nobody discipled me, which is why I'm so grateful for Steve and the church for putting on the discipleship program that we're running this year. Because, yeah, amen. Because discipleship, God calls us to disciple nations, not make converts, not just to bring people into the church to get saved, but to actually disciple them. And what we're doing this year, and what I'm teaching on this morning, is the topic of grace. And I've forgotten the clicker. (laughs) Thank you. Is the topic of grace. Oh, look at that. I'm ahead of myself. Now, grace is a big topic. Now... In Youth with a Mission, we teach on this topic for a week. And even in that week, it's very, very difficult to cover it all. So I can only cover one aspect today. You have to come tomorrow if you want to hear the next one. Today I'm teaching on justification. Okay? Tomorrow, in the evening, I'll be teaching on righteousness. Okay? So if you want to learn about righteousness and whether or not you're righteous, come tomorrow. Okay, but for today, we're looking at justification. But before we go there, I want to actually look at um, a scripture in Philippians 4. It's uh, Philippians 4, verses 4 to 11. 
Hopefully that's big enough for everyone to read. I'll put my glasses on now, I'm getting old. This is Paul explaining things. He says, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. This is a powerful passage of Paul. Basically, he's telling us what all the things he had in his past were like and that he count, in, in, in this version, it says that he counts them all as rubbish. Okay? The original word used is the word skybelong. Philippians 3, verses 4 to 11. Let's break it down a little bit. Sorry, I'm a teacher, not a preacher. Paul tells us that he was circumcised on the eighth day the way his parents had brought him up. That he was from the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. He even had the right family line. He says, as to the law, a Pharisee, he had position and education. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church, he had passion for God. As for righteousness under the law, he said he was blameless, doing the right thing. But he says, all of this is loss for the sake of knowing Christ, and that he has suffered the loss of all things and counted them as rubbish. That word rubbish, in its original context, means We go to the next one. Animal excrement is what it says. Poo. There's a few other choice words that we could use, but we are in church, so let's not use those words. No worries, that's right. Yeah. Go the Australian accent. Yes, I'm Australian, not American. But Skybalon, when Paul says that it's rubbish, when he counts it all lost for the sake of knowing Christ, he says. It's basically like poo. Your upbringing, your family line, your position, your education, your passion for God and doing the right thing has nothing to do with grace. 
It does not get you saved and it has absolutely nothing to do with grace. So whatever this thing is that Jesus has done for us, it must be pretty special. Would you agree? Yeah? Okay. So let's have a look. Justification. Okay. Romans 3.20 says, For by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. I think everybody would agree that God is a just God. Yeah? Okay. So God is a just God. What does that mean? Okay, that means that for God to be just, justice must be served. Yeah? Okay. So if there's a penalty that is due, that penalty must be paid for. Okay? And then he's, in Romans 3, Paul says, By the works of the law, no human being will be justified, since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. Okay? So the law came to show us what sin is. So if we go to Deuteronomy... Chapter 5, verses 6 to 21. And I'm not going to read through the whole passage. I'm just going to highlight. But basically, this is the Ten Commandments. And the first commandment is this. And this is the law that Paul is talking about that we need to keep under the Old Covenant. And Steve spoke on covenants. Under the Old Covenant, this is the law that we were required to keep to be justified by God. The penalty had to be paid for. And it was a sacrificial system. He says, you shall have no other God before me. So, please don't feel like I'm suggesting that I have kept any of these commandments. But if anybody's kept this one their entire life, please feel free to come and stand at the front here and we'll use you as a nice example. So, you've never put anything before God before. No? All right. All right, let's try the next one. All right, how about this one? Number two, no idols. You're not allowed to have anything that you put, like no idol of money, no idol of your girlfriend, your wife, your children, anything that you've put before God again. Anyone never had an idol in their life? Again, please feel free. We'll come up the front. We'll use you as a great example. Hasn't had idols. All right, how about this one? You shall not take the Lord's name in vain. The Lord your God's name in vain. Okay, so you've never ever used God's name in vain. So you've never said, oh my gee, or J. You've never ever done that. Never blasphemed the Lord's name. Again, feel free to come and stand at the front here. No? Okay, surely this one should be okay. Number four, uh, observe the Sabbath day and keep it holy. So all of your life, you've always kept the Sabbath, which would mean you'd have to have been a Christian your entire life. So put your hand up if you've always been a Christian. Okay, so there's a few, not many of us, praise the Lord. That's great. Okay, but have you always kept the Sabbath? No? Okay, how about this one? What's the next one? Ah, Kids will love this one. Honor your father and your mother. 
So you've never dissed your father or your mother ever. You've always obeyed them, always done everything they've always asked of you. Even if you disagree, but you did it anyway because you know their, their authority over you. Any of you? Kids? No? Younger ones? Honor mum and dad? Okay. This one, surely. And please, if you've done this next one, you must come and talk to me after the service, okay? Okay, you shall not murder. Okay, if you've never committed murder in your entire life, please feel free and stand at the front here. Really? Of course, we've got to remember that Jesus said that even if you hate your brother, it's the same as committing murder. Sure. I'll tell you, this Jesus guy. Oh, here we go. Okay, put up your hand if you're single. Okay, nice and high so I can, all the boys can see. Okay. Okay, girls, there's a few boys over here. Okay, all the single people. All right, so this one is you shall not commit adultery. If you're single, you can't commit adultery. Okay, because you've got to be married to commit adultery, right? Okay, so you can't commit adultery. So all my single people should be rushing to the front saying, yes, I can fulfill that part of the law. But remember, Jesus said that even if you look at a woman with lust in your eyes, you've already committed the act in your heart. You shall not steal. Please come up the front here if you've never, ever stolen anything in your entire life, which includes not taking anything that you know is someone else's without asking permission. Because that's stealing. No? Sure. We're at number eight already. Sure. How about this one? You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. In other words, lie. Never told a lie ever in your life. Anyone never, ever told a lie? Always told the truth? Steve. I'm not going to look at Steve. Don't look at Steve. Don't look at Steve. <laughs> I'll tell you. How about this one? Last one, number 10. We've got to get one. Surely we've got to get one. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife and you shall not desire anything that is your neighbor's. It's quite a long passage, but that's basically what it says. It says you shall not covet, which means you, can, you're not gonna, you don't have envy or jealousy for something someone else has got. And you've never, ever done that in your entire life. I'll tell you what, I mean, so we're uh, a bunch of adulterous, murdering um, thieves who constantly lie, not doing so well. Praise be to God that Jesus, in Matthew 5.17, it says that Jesus came to fulfill the law. He said, do not think that I have come to abolish the law of the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Okay, Romans 3, 23 and 24 says, for all, that includes all of us, not one of us here has been able to keep any one, let alone one, not one of the Ten Commandments have we been able to keep in our lifetime. So the penalty for that sin is what? Death. 
The penalty for sin is death. And so that penalty, because God is a just God, right? That penalty for that sin must be paid for to enable us to be in right standing with God, to be justified in his eyes. But he says that we have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God, but are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. You see, justification comes through what Jesus did at the cross. Now, what do you think of when you think of, when you hear the word justification? What comes to mind? What picture does it present in your mind? See, the original readers, when they heard this, that we have been justified freely by this grace that Jesus has brought, they would have immediately thought of a court scene, of a judge and a jury and a prosecutor and a defense, yeah? where everybody gets to present their case in front of two or three witnesses. Okay, so imagine if you can a court scene, and I'm just trying to remember, uh, you're looking this way, so uh, on the left is the defense and on the right is the prosecutor, okay. So we've got the prosecution over this side, we've got the defense over this side, and then Bill is the accused. We'll use Bill. Bill's got broad shoulders. We can use Bill as the example. Bill is the accused. And his sin is great. In fact, he's not been able to keep one of the Ten Commandments. And the prosecution, the prosecution present their case against Bill. And it's a compelling case. The defense then presents their case. And their case is pretty good. But it's not as good as the prosecution's. And the judge sits hearing all of the testimony. And he's about to pass judgment on Bill. And the gavel comes up and it's about to come down. And as he's bringing the gavel down, Jesus comes running through from the back of the courtroom and says, Your Honor, wait! Wait! And he takes Bill out of his seat and he places himself in that seat and he says, whatever penalty was due to Bill, place on me. I will pay the penalty for him. And the judge's gavel comes down. So be it. This is justification. This is part of, not all of, but part of the transaction. That's what this month is about. It's about grace and the fullness of what Christ has done for us. It's just part. He has justified us. He has paid the penalty for you and for me, the penalty of death, so that I won't have to. And the glorious thing about it is when Jesus died, he did one other thing that was really important. He resurrected from the dead. He overcame death. And so that sacrifice that he made in justifying us, the penalty of sin, has been paid for once for all time. Amen? Okay, so... How much time have I got? Okay, good. Okay, so there are some teachings that I, I've heard about um, this passage in Revelation uh, 20, verses 11 to 15. Okay? 
Okay, when I, when I was going to church, um, nothing against the Anglican church. I love the Anglican church. I grew up in the Anglican church, loved it, still love it. But one of the things that I got taught was that one day I will have to stand before God and be judged. That I was unrighteous, I was a sinner, and I would have to stand before God and be judged. And often this is the passage that is used to justify that type of teaching. Okay, so I want to read through it together and then I'm going to break it down. This is John speaking. He says, Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. And from his presence, earth and sky fled away and no place was found for them. And the dead, and I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. And books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books, according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each of them, according to what they had done. And then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Okay. Where is your name written? Is it written in the books? Or is it written in the book of life? If, you, if you're a believer, put your hand up if you're a believer. Okay, wonderful. Lots of believers here. That's wonderful. Okay, so if you're a believer, Scripture tells us that your name is written in the book of life. Okay, so he sees the great white throne and him who was seated on it. We know he's talking about God. And he says, from his presence, earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And he saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Is it books singular, or is it books, book plural? Books plural. Okay, more than one book. He says, then I, another book was opened, which is the book singular. Yeah? Okay, it's the book of life. Where is your name written? In the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the? Plural or singular? Plural. The dead were judged by what was written in the books, according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the? Book of life. He was thrown into the lake of fire. How can you get that from this passage? For believers, we have nothing to fear when we stand before God. You see, the judgment has already taken place. Our justification has already taken place at the cross. Jesus, when he died for us, he paid the penalty for our sin so that we wouldn't have to. So when we stand before God now, we don't have anything to fear about being judged for what we've done because Jesus has paid the penalty for that and our name is now written in the book of life. Now, I'm, I'm a great lover of movies. Who else? Anyone else like movies? Yeah, I'm a big, big movies and series guy. Okay, come and talk to me later. Okay, and I, there's this one particular movie, it goes really, really well with this, what we're talking about here. And it's this movie here. Anyone seen this movie? Double Jeopardy. Oh, it's such a good movie. 
<laughs> Someone's seen it. Okay, so double jeopardy, it's, this is the definition. It says, it's the act of prosecuting a defendant a second time for an offence for which he or she has already been tried. That's a dictionary definition, our modern-day dictionary. Basically, this is what it says. It says, if the penalty for a crime has been paid for, the accused cannot suffer the same penalty again. Remember, we're talking about justification here. So in this movie, uh, this woman's husband, okay, now please don't think that I'm, I'm, I'm saying this is okay to do, but this woman's husband pretend, pretends, he makes out that his wife has killed him and he disappears. And she knows she hasn't killed him, but she gets tried and gets, in the trial, she gets um, uh, sent to jail. I think she goes to jail for 12 years for the, this penalty of killing her husband. And then she gets released. And in the process of her getting released, she finds out that actually her husband's still alive. Now, she's already paid the penalty for killing him. Now, her intention was not to go and kill him. <laughs> but through a, a series of events, in the end, he ends up getting shot and dying. And she walks out of the building a free person because the penalty has already been paid for. <laughs> now, please don't think that I'm condoning murder, okay? Because I'm not, okay? But my point is this. When Jesus died on the cross for you, he paid the penalty for your sin once for all time. He justified you. That justice was served. The penalty has been paid for. So that when you stand before God, there is no more penalty to be paid for. And hence you have nothing to fear when you stand in front of God. Amen? This is the gift of grace. In Romans 5, it's five times, six, I think in the King James Version, must be the more holy version, um, it says that grace is a gift. Grace is a gift. Who likes gifts? I like gifts. Christmas time was always my favorite time. I was in the military in Australia. I was in the Air Force for 21 years. And uh, the only time I really went home was at Christmas time. And so Christmas always was a special time of exchanging gifts and having, having the love of my family around me. Jesus has given us a gift through grace. And there are three things you can do with a gift. You can refuse it, which unfortunately many people do. You can take it and say, thank you very much, but this is a little bit too much. Let me do something to earn this gift. Let me give you something so that I can justify me actually receiving it. Or you can do what God asks us to do, and that is to accept it. And if you've never accepted this free gift, I want to invite you to come and receive it this morning. Because this is not some ordinary gift that God has given us through His Son. 
we'll learn more in the coming weeks in the discipleship school. But this area of justification, the penalty for yours and my sin, has been totally paid for. I have nothing to fear in death. I have nothing to fear when I stand before my maker. Because he has justified me through the death and resurrection of his son, Jesus. And I just want to thank you and I want to thank him for what he has done in my own personal life. Because had I not come to this point of knowing Jesus, I would have gone into the fiery lake because I would have committed suicide not knowing him. I praise God for my brother, for his prayers for 20 years. I'd encourage you, never stop praying for those you love. I know Steve, particularly for those that are doing the uh, discipleship program, he's asked you to make a list of, I think it's five people that you want to come, see come to salvation, that you've been praying for. Never stop praying for those you love. I'm still praying for my younger brother. Um, Andrew is his name, if you want to pray for him, um, to come to salvation. He's the only one in our family now who's not saved. 